Well, we're on our series, Living with a Burning Heart. Uh, we're on part four. And last week, man, Ash, he did such an awesome job taking us through John 13. So the series is John 13 through 17, if you're, if you're just catching up with us. We're working through John 13 to 17, and I won't go back and re-preach everything we've said already, but these are critically important uh, chapters. And uh, last week, I loved what Ash did. He, he broke down John 13 in a, in a real interesting narrative way, pulled out four characters, and showed us how at any given time we might be one of those characters. And uh, he got about halfway through, and I was ready to throw in the towel. I was just, do an altar call, brother, because I couldn't take it anymore. But he, he laid it out how sometimes we're Jesus, loving the unlovely, loving the weak, and, and being faithful in that way. And sometimes we're John, we're a faithful lover of Jesus, laying our head on his chest in intimacy and, and, and intimate conversation. Sometimes we're Peter, where we're self-righteous, full of ambition, bumbling and fumbling over ourselves and needing Jesus' kindness to pull us up out of that. And then he said, sometimes we're Judas, we're operating in deception, and we, we quit the conversation with Jesus, and it leads us into really negative experiences. And in Judas' case, it was apostasy and betrayal. And I think, for me, when I was just sort of processing what he was sharing with us and just going through, again, the notes. I went back over his notes this week. The thing that I think stuck with me the most was this idea that, you know, even though Peter, I probably, I, I connected to Peter the most in that, that whole thing. And, and even though Peter is this self-righteous, sort of ambitious always getting out ahead of his skis kind of a guy, you know, that he kept the conversation going. He kept talking to the Lord. And, you know, it, it located him because he said some stuff that wasn't awesome. How many of you ever say some stuff that's not awesome? That's me. I say stuff that's not awesome. I've got a cute saying that uh, <laughs> never in doubt, often wrong, you know. And, and I, 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 I can so relate to that. Like, you just get a, I'll, and he goes, I'll never deny you. And just, you just can imagine Jesus just gracious looking at Peter and going, oh, Pete, you're so cute. <laughs> you don't have a clue. Come here, bud. Come here. Let me tell you something, bud. It's going to, you're going to deny me three times tonight but it's okay because I'm going to be here for you. And oh man, I so related to that. But the thing that Peter, the thing that he does is he keeps the conversation going. He keeps opening his mouth, even if it's stupid sometimes. <laughs> he opens his mouth and he's in the dialogue with the Lord. And that really is such a critical key to our lives with the Lord that you don't shut your heart down ever. You don't shut the Lord out ever. You keep your heart open. You keep the dialogue going. And what you find is if you'll do that, the Lord, he'll continue to speak right into your weakness, right into your brokenness. He'll love you in the midst of it, lift you up out of it, and strengthen you through it all. 
but you got to keep your heart open. And the contrast, of course, was the fact that we looked at John 13, and Ash brought this point out. I thought it was very insightful that we never see Judas say anything. He just never, he, he doesn't say anything. He's referenced, but he just, he's shut down is the point. And um, I think right there is such a key, right? If we shut our heart down to the Lord, at that point, we are in danger of deception. Because the enemy, will he'll, he'll keep hitting your mind if your heart is shut. He'll keep hitting your mind. And he'll just keep going and keep going and keep going until he can get the actions out of you that he wants, and which is what we see with Judas. And so that was, to me, that was so powerful. And um, I just so I was just so connecting to how the Lord engages vulnerably with us in our weakness. You know, even even what Katie shared this morning, just how the Lord meets our weakness with power. And I think that's a key thought of even this whole series is that if we'll vulnerably open our heart. The, even if it's a wreck in there. Look, the Lord knows it's a wreck. You know it's a wreck. He knows it's a wreck. But it doesn't, that wreck doesn't throw him off. He wants to meet that wreck with real power and real love. And so I think that's just so, so I don't know. It, it touched me deeply. I would just say that. Just so noteworthy. And so then this week, we're going to go ahead and move into John 14. And so... Uh, you know, John 14, to me, is just, I mean, these, all these chapters, it's like, it just doesn't get any better than this, and then each one of them just sort of build on the other, but John 14 is so amazing, and so I'm going to try to walk us through, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give us four key ideas that are governing sort of what Jesus is teaching in John 14, and then I'm going to come back and highlight several of the the key verses, and sort of talk through them. I've got lots of hours in John 14. Um, I've spent a lot of time historically looking at this chapter. There's some really key verses in there that are meaningful to me personally. And, uh, but I would just say this. I don't know how many hours I've got in it now, just this week, last few weeks, just getting ready for today. But I've got a lot in it. And, um, and I would just say this. Some of the stuff I'm going to share with you today is just brand new insight I've never even seen before. Like just the spirit of revelation, the Lord going, hey, look at this, and opening up the scripture in a fresh way. Don't you love that about the Bible? You can like read it a million times, and the million and oneth time, million and first time, more light comes on, you go, boom, wow, I never saw that before. So I'm gonna share some things um, that are, I think, just powerful out of this chapter. So um, let me just make mention, if you don't have the notes, get the notes. Go to our website. It's right there on the middle of the homepage. It's today's notes. You can just get them. I, I did seven pages of notes for you guys, okay? Like, I didn't do that so they would show up on the website and nobody ever look at them again. Glory to God. <laughs> I did it for you for your, you know, study and you know, you can use it as a tool. So I, I, I just felt compelled to put that together for you. So uh, I won't touch every single line on the notes for the people that love the speaker to hit every single line. I, just be prepared to be uh, disappointed in that. But um, anyway, I put it there for you for a, a study tool. 
All right, I'm just going to launch into this. We've prayed for everybody and ourselves and the Word, so we're ready now. But uh, in the notes, I'm in Roman numeral 2. I'm going to touch four key points out of John 14, and then I'm going to highlight some key verses where the Lord, I felt like, was you know, ministering to me. But there's four key things I see Jesus doing in this part of the, the discourse. And he's, he's doing a lot. He's sharing a lot. The revelation in this chapter is extensive. You could do six or eight weeks just on this chapter. The things that I'm pulling out are these four points. He's giving us confidence in crisis, teaching us about vulnerable disclosure. He's opening this massive conversation about the mutual indwelling of Holy Spirit in believers and believers in God, which is just a theological Mount Everest. And then he's emphasizing this point about obedience and love. Obedience and love. So let's just work through these. So confidence in crisis. So uh, you remember John 13 ends with that kind of rough <laughs> interaction between Jesus and Peter, and Peter goes, I'll die for you. And I just feel the pain, the cringe of the moment. I mean, could you imagine being in the room watching that? Oh, he's, Pete, he's going to die for Jesus. And Jesus goes, eh, not exactly. You're going to deny me. And I, mean, I mean, James and John are probably like, oh, that's rough. That's so rough. And so Peter is on skates. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. What? What? And so then the chapter break to me is not the best chapter break in the Bible because then Jesus answers with, let not your heart be troubled, Peter. He doesn't say, we don't get Peter recorded there, but it's evident he's speaking right back to Peter in this moment of just wildness in his thoughts and brokenness in his heart. How could I be denying Jesus? I'll die for him. He goes, no, no, no. Even tonight you'll deny me three times. And then Jesus meets that with incredible tenderness. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. So he's coming to comfort Peter, but he's doing something else that is super important for you to understand when you're looking at John 14. The literary scholars, when they come back and they study a text like this, they slice it and dice it in all sorts of ways. And what they tell you is Jesus sets up a um, literary device right there with that phrase, let not your heart be troubled. And the literary device is called inclusion. Inclusion. If we got any English teachers in the room, you might know this one. But inclusion is this. It's I make a statement, I build everything I'm going to say on that statement about, I'm, so I'm building everything about that statement and everything, the next stuff I say, and then I close it with making the same statement again. So if you're ever reading the Bible and you see something uh, that's repeated and there's a chunk of text in between, that's an inclusion, Jesus did this in the Sermon on the Mount. The whole, the, basically, the whole sermon is an inclusion. Here he does it in John 14. 
In verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. He's trying to tell Pete, you're going to make it, Pete. You're going to make it. You're going to deny me tonight, but you're going to make it. He goes, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then, and then what's going to happen in the chapter is he's going he's to let three disciples ask questions. It's, uh, it's Philip, Jude, and Thomas. Tom, Phil, and Jude. Do you think they referred to each other in shorts? Pete, Tom, Phil, I don't know. So they're going to ask a few questions. He's going to answer their questions. He's going to expand on the answer and teach new stuff. But by verse 27, when he's closing this part of the discourse, they're, going to get it, they're getting ready to get up from dinner and they're going to go to the Mount of Olives. He says it again, let not your heart be troubled. So verse 1 and verse 27 provide an, an, an inclusion or an inclusio, depending on, you know, your literary school. But here's the point I want to make. If you have a troubled heart, if you are dealing with anxiety, fear, worry, all these things, John 14 is basically Jesus' best teaching on how to not let your heart be troubled. Do you see that? That literary device he sets up is so he can unpack all the details you need to let not your heart be troubled. And I think that when we're coming to John 14, what we have to recognize is this. Peter is on skates because he's about to deny Jesus but all the disciples are bewildered because they know Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's trying to tell them, tonight's the night, I'm gone. So they are struggling with this impending crisis of Jesus being taken from them. And it's like, He's been saying it all along. They couldn't quite get it. Now is the moment. And, and it's like, man, the alarm is going off. This is the moment of crisis. It's right in front of you. He goes, now I'm going to minister to you. If you'll listen to what I'm telling you right now, in the crisis, your heart can be free. Your heart can be confident. And so I want you to think about John 14 in that way that Jesus is unpacking for us how to be confident in crisis. And how can you apply this? Are you dealing with crises in your life? Go to John 14. Go to John 14. Let those words, let them wash over you and let them stabilize you in the crisis. Furthermore, at the end of the age, as crisis fills the earth, as trial, challenge, difficulty, persecution, suffering on the right and on the left, as that's filling the earth, John 14 has got to be one of our mainstays. Can I get an amen? It's going to be critical for believers to get behind and under the truths of John 14. Okay, that's point one. Point two, vulnerable disclosure. Vulnerable disclosure. What does that mean? Well, it's the point I was sort of making earlier about Peter staying open, Judas being closed. But what Jesus does, he does it through John 13 to 17, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but what he does here 
as he gets down into the nitty-gritty of how he relates to the Father and how the Father relates to him. And the point he's making is, this is how you are going to relate to the Father and to me, just the way that I've been relating to the Father. It's what you guys are going to be doing. And so he's explaining that his heart is open to the Father, that the Father's heart is open to him, and that there's this interchange, and that as they've continued to, to interchange, as they've continued to dialogue, that the way, this is so stunning to me, that the way Jesus Christ lived on the earth was not of his own ambition or desire. That the way that he lived in his earthly life was only doing what the Father spoke to him to do. And only saying what the Father spoke to him to say. And this is like, I mean, he has authority in himself. He, he literally says it a couple times. He goes, I've got authority to raise my life up or to lay it down. I've got authority to give life to whoever I want. The Father has given me all this authority. But he says, I don't come in my own name and I don't come with my own authority. I'm not doing this for me. I'm showing the world the Father. And, and you just got to like get this. You and I are supposed to live the way that Jesus lived with the Father. So, so often we, we go, okay, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's like, okay, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, don't and do, do and don't. And, and it's like, that's not the point at all. What would Jesus do is, is this, Jesus would relate to the Father. Flowing in love with the Father. I love in John 13, it says Jesus knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, and he knew everything the Father had given him. And, that's, and so then he girds himself, puts a towel on himself, and washes everybody's feet. You, you can go as low as Jesus if you know where you came from and whose you are. You see that, right? And so it's all in this identity as a son and this open, vulnerable discussion between he and the father. His whole life was that way. And so then he calls us to live that way ourselves. And this is that point about Judas and Pete. Like, man, I mean, Peter is, is fumbling, but he's open. Judas is deceived because he's shut. And I feel like Jesus is emphasizing his tenderness towards Peter because that open heart is what God is after anyway. It's like what we shared several weeks ago about Revelation 3, this, the knocking on the door of our heart, living with an open heart. Beloved, this is, I think, it's one of the key, key frontiers for the church right now, that we would learn to live vulnerably, that we would learn to live open, that we would learn to live without hiding anything, completely out of shame, completely, completely apart from any shame. We would just live just with the truth of who we are on display. 
I, I'm, I'm leaning into the heart of God personally in this, and the Lord keeps burning stuff down in my house. My, the house of my heart, I mean. But what I realize is he's trying to burn it down so that I have nothing in there to be ashamed of. See, if I can, if I can share it, if I can be open, if I'm carrying nothing that I'm ashamed of, then I can be vulnerable, Right? So being vulnerable about my brokenness, my weakness, and now shame is out of the equation, right? And, and you know what? When shame is out of the equation, guess what? I'm at peace. And so are you. And I think so many people, Christians especially, live under the weight of shame, live under the pain of broken stuff that they're afraid to share, live hiding compromise and covering their weaknesses because they haven't got this point about vulnerable disclosure. You know, and, and just, just to be clear, I'm not saying go on Facebook or on Instagram and tell all your garbage. Just be, just be freed from that. We just released the spirit of being free from social media right now. But what I am talking about is getting your circle of five or ten and being so open-hearted, there's absolutely nothing in there that you're afraid to share. Opening to one another, opening to God, and living this way. Can you get a vision of how free your heart could be? Ephesians 1, I love it because he says, I wanted you to be before me blameless or shameless in love. Imagine every day of your life opening your eyes without any sense of shame on your heart, not worried about what anyone else knows about you because your heart's free, because your heart is clean, and you don't mind sharing your weakness. We put on so many airs. Aren't you about tired? <laughs> I'm so tired of trying to carry a persona that everybody else wants it to be, but it's just not real. Can I get, and it, can we just get just down and get real and be honest? This is where Jesus was living. This is what he's inviting us to. He shows us how that works in the, in the passage. I mean, just think about this. He unpacks, and this is where we're gonna go next, the idea that God will live inside you. So that's the ultimate, you can run, but you can't hide. If he's on the inside of you, you're run, where are you running from? He's right there. Do you see what I'm saying? Vulnerable disclosure. I, I just want to highlight this verse, John 14, 20, because Jesus sort of builds in that section, and he says this, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and this phrase, and manifest myself to him. I think it's the New International says, I will disclose myself to him. Now, just, let's just think about this just for half a second. I'll just take a little moment on this. 
we often pray for the spirit of revelation, right? Lord, release the spirit of revelation. But if you said that to someone else, I want you to reveal yourself to me. Woo, that's intimate, right? That's super intimate. So we say, Lord, release the spirit of revelation. Reveal yourself to me. See, he's, he's so willing to do that. He wants to disclose himself. He promised, I will disclose myself to you. But see, this isn't about just getting more information so that we got, the, we got the God word. This is about interacting with the heart of Jesus. Interacting with the heart of God and living this way. Living this way every single day where we are flowing back and forth in vulnerable disclosure. He promises, he goes, love me. And you'll, you'll experience my love and the Father's love. And you know what's going to happen when you're flowing back and forth in love? This is what I, how I'm reading John 14, 20. When we're flowing back and forth in love together, I'm going to show you more of me. I'm going to disclose myself. Beloved, that's what your heart wants. That's what you're yearning for. He literally says, because I go to the Father, you will live. You'll have life. And what is that life? But it's him on the inside of us. And so then what he does is he takes us to John 17, and he shows us what vulnerable disclosure looks like. I love John 17 because he just, it says, Jesus lifted his eyes to the sky and began to speak. <laughs> he just looks up. Father, all the guys are like, whoa, he's doing it in front of us. He goes, oh, the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. I can't wait till you restore me to that glory. I mean, he starts, he starts intimately talking to the Father. And then he's talking about his guys with his guys looking at him. You just wonder, they're like, hey, we're in the room God, make them one. You know, he's pouring out his guts to the Father. And the, the team is all there watching it. And the reason why is he's emphasizing vulnerability. Vulnerable disclosure. Listen. We're coming to a place in the earth, in the timetable of the kingdom, where we just... We just can't walk around hiding ourselves, hiding our weaknesses, portraying that we're something that we're not. We're coming to a place where what we have to be is weakness on display so God can actually meet it with power. That's why Paul said, I delight in weakness, that the power of God may manifest through me. And so this this old deal of how you doing, blessed, <laughs> praise God, yeah, glory, amen, hallelujah, glory to God, praise God, brother, and that's the conversation we have with one another, that thing needs to die. <laughs> if you're blessed, praise God for that, but that does not need to be like, if you're not blessed, oh, oh, so you're backslidden, <laughs> no, I went through a rough thing this week, and I'm working through it with Jesus, but it's been challenging. 
Amen. I remember coming up in church and somebody would miss a Sunday and be like, oh, where were you last week? I got a cold? Oh, don't confess that, brother. But I had a cold. And there was this sort of litmus that if we didn't live up to it, that you, you, somehow you weren't in, you weren't good enough. That's not at all what Jesus is saying right there. He's going, open to me. I can deal with everything that you are. I'll walk right in. I'm going to set it on fire, and there's going to be a whole lot of me left in there. How about that? That's what he's inviting us to. And he's inviting us to do that with one another because when he shines through me and he shines through you, he is in the midst. That's called fellowship. That's where he wants to take us. So vulnerable disclosure. All right. Then this concept of mutual indwelling. And I think just for me, like, I just feel like we have really just, we've just blushed over this idea. Every time I come back to the, to the truth of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that God the Father, God the Son, that they are living on the inside of me by the, by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus literally said, we're going to make our home in you. Like, that's where we want to live. Every time I come back to that and let that truth sort of wash over me, I realize I've got about one one millionth of the understanding of what that even is. He's in there. Jesus is in there. The Father is in there by the Holy Spirit on the inside. And not only that, not only is he in us, he says, you're in me. And he goes, and I'm in the Father. And the Father's in me. Guys, that's you and I right now. That's our norm today. The Father, the uncreated one, is inside of you if you have said yes to Jesus. I mean, coming to grips with that truth, it is, it is mind-boggling at, at a very high level. And, uh, you know, just to recircle that idea about vulnerability, there's really no reason to hide from God because He's in there. He's already in there. He, he knows what's the state of things. He's not faked out. He is a front row seat. And that's the whole point, is that we would live in this intimate, vulnerable, flowing relationship of love with God as our norm day in and day out, and we would let the wonders of the mutual indwelling, the mystical indwelling of God within us, us within God, that be our, our sort of compelling revelation for our whole life. That we live from this place of, of shock and wonder and awe that God is on the inside of us. And then finally, the last kind of key point that I see. These, this is not an exhaustive list. This is stuff that I've really jumped out to me is this concept of obedience in love. Obedience in love. So, so we got confidence in crisis, vulnerable disclosure, mutual indwelling, 
but obedience in love. Now, here's the thing. Four different times, four different times in John 14, it's, uh, I got it in the notes, verse 15, 21, 23, 25, it's in your notes. He literally says, when you love me, you'll obey me. When you love me, you'll obey me. So often I've read it like he's saying, prove to me that you love me by obeying me, which is not what he's saying. He's saying the natural outflow of a heart that experiences my love, that's flowing in love with me, is you're just going to want to do what I'm doing. You're just going to want to obey because you're flowing in love with me. We're so close, you're not going to want to be apart from me. And, and so he goes, when you love me, you will obey me. And, and, and so this thing, he... he he dials it into the new command, and John 13 says, the new command I give you that you love one another. We've talked about that. That's a huge, huge, huge thing. But he broadens it even beyond that to anything that I invite you to, anything that I, com I command you to do. He goes, when you love me, doing what I ask, that's just going to be the natural outflow. And so I would just say this. When you're, when you're struggling in an area of obedience, okay, just dial it in like this. When you're struggling in an area of obedience, don't stare at, you know, the verses that are like, I have to obey, I have to obey, or whatever. Stare at the verses where he says, I love you. You're mine. You're my beloved. Because when we struggle with obedience, it's because we lack revelation of his love for us. Because this concept is already set. If you love me, you will obey me. Falling more in love makes you more easily obedient. Does that make sense? So we, we it's not like knowing the rules isn't what makes you more obedient. In fact, knowing the rules and trying to like sort of follow the rules, that will prove to you that you can't be obedient. But falling in love will make you obedient. And we use this example a lot, but it just, it just bears emphasis. Like, so I love my wife. So she says yeah, to me yesterday, can you do some laundry? <laughs> now, this is not to pat me on the back. I'm not quite sure what all the knobs do on the laundry machines. That's how often I do laundry. Like, I'm that guy. But she asked me, <laughs> so I'm just like, let's just be real now. Like, this is not, hey, I'm a laundry man. I'm not. I, I had to like, okay, which one's the on button? You know, that's where I'm at. But she says, can you do some laundry? I have to go to a birthday party with Raya. And so I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can do laundry. I, I, not, I can do this. Not because I'm a laundry man. Not because I like laundry. I don't like laundry. But based on how much I love her, doing laundry, that was like so easy. Does that make sense? The more you love, the more you know love, the easier it will be to obey. And the converse is true that if you're having a hard time obeying, you need a greater revelation of love. 
And listen, guys, I, I mean, I, if I could boil down the whole of this life, the whole of what this is with us and Jesus, it's love that breeds obedience. It's just love that breeds obedience. Obedience by and for love. That's it. That's it. Lists of rules, lists of do's and don'ts, they will always show you your brokenness. Love will always compel you to radical obedience. And that's what he's emphasizing in this chapter. Four different times he emphasizes it, and then he brings it back, and he literally says, and that's why I obey the Father, so everyone will know that I love him. He goes, I'm just inviting you to live the way that I've lived. Amen. All right, let's take a look at a couple of these verses. I just want to highlight them, and then we'll go to lunch. I mean, you're not all going to lunch with me, but we'll leave here. Ah, uh, honey, they want to come. No, bum rush my house. All right. <laughs> I just signed us up for Armageddon. All right. Let's just, uh, let's look at John 14. Let's look at verse 1. We're in John 14. Let's look at verse 1. So if you're following along in the notes, Roman numeral 3, verse by verse. All right, let's just read the first few verses here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, now this is the, this is the interesting point that I want to bring out. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I love that phrase. That where I am, there you may be also. He goes, I want you with me. Just, I mean, can you, you know, when you read these verses, slow it down and just make it Jesus talking right to you. He goes, I want you with me. I want you with me. That wherever I am, I want you to be with me. Like the fact that Jesus would say that is just, it's just beautiful and overwhelming. But this part of the chapter, he literally shifts into bridal language as a bridegroom. Uh, they would have recognized he's talking about like a Jewish a uh, bridegroom who is now betrothed to a woman, what he, what he will then do is once they're betrothed, he goes back to where he's from and he builds a house that he and his beloved will live in. And so Jesus, he goes, listen, don't be, don't be troubled by everything that's gonna happen. This is about the wedding. This is about me and you. This is about I want you with me. And he starts using bridal language. He goes, I'm going to come back for you and bring you to myself. And so when you, when you see this, like out of the gate, he's meeting Peter's um, denial with a greater measure of love, a greater revelation of love. When you study Song of Solomon, you recognize that's exactly what he does in, in Song of Solomon, that every place the maiden is weak, he meets that with love, with affirmations of his love. So right here he's saying, 
I'm your bridegroom. I'm preparing our house together, and I am going to come back. I'm going to receive you to myself so we can be together forever. And so that, that part of the chapter just sets us up like, oh, this is amazing. He, he is wanting to emphasize this point of intimacy and desire and delight. And, and the thing that I just can't get over with Jesus, I, I mean, he, I just can't get over this. He always wants to be with us. He always wants to be with you. I remember when I was younger, I used to, sometimes I used to pray, and I don't know if it was my own shame, it was my own wrong image of God, but I would think after a certain amount of time with the Lord, he's like, okay, enough of you, I'm done. And I would apply this sort of rejection thing, and then I got in the Word and I realized, he's never rejected me. He's never been tired of me. He, he's never bored with me. He, he's never over wanting to be with me. If anybody's bored in this relationship or tired or distracted, it's not him. It's me. He literally is, I can't get enough of you. And he's never impatient. He goes, that where I am, you may be also. I want you to be with me. He would reiterate it again as he's praying to the Father in John 17. I want them with me where I am. I think that's just a powerful, powerful thought. All right, so verse 8. Let's look at what Phil says. Philip's asking the second of the three questions. Thomas, he goes, wait a minute, you just said we know the way, we don't know the way. Jesus goes, you do know the way, Tom. He goes, I'm the way. Stay in me and you're, you'll be there with me. <laughs> Philip, then he asks, Lord, verse eight, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, oh, this is so tender. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father, here, here's all these points, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I can almost just hear Jesus saying to Philip, Philip goes, show us the Father. And I don't think Philip's in doubt I think Philip's in desire. I don't think Philip's going, we don't believe you. You've got to do something more exciting. I mean, we've seen dead people get up, but we don't believe you. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying, show us the Father and, and we'll know the way. I think he's kind of going back with Tom's question. And so he's kind of bringing the, the conversation forward. And, and, and Phil's going, we, we want more of you. We want to be connected more. Show us the Father. And I can almost, in my mind's eye, I just picture it like this. Jesus just smiles real big. He goes, who do you think you've been talking to this whole time? And Phil's head blows up, <laughs> turns into that emoji real fast. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, you've seen me. You've been talking to Yahweh. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Phil, it's, 
It's like the father speaking right through Jesus. It goes from bridal language to father language. He goes, it's been me the whole time, Phil. It's been me the whole time. There's a reason why Isaiah said, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And there they are, man, the Last Supper, and they are getting, they are getting hit with a bomb. You're in the Father, the Father's in you. There's a mystical union, and this, this, uh, I mean, he's unpacking the theology of Trinity, this mutual indwelling. It's, I mean, you, you, there's theologians that spend years dealing with this subject, but what you see is this union between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus is saying it so directly to Philip. He goes, have I been with you this long and you didn't quite get it? And you're looking at me. You're looking at Abba. And he goes, I don't understand how you're asking me to show you the Father. I've been here all along. When you've been talking to Jesus, the Father's been there all along. It's, uh, it's, it's um, difficult if you think Jesus is kind and the Father is mean. Because everything that Jesus said and did was an expression of the Father. And this is what he's nailing for his disciples and so many of us, we've got father stuff that we can't see God as kind, loving, encouraging, compassionate, caring, because we've got father stuff. But man, Jesus, everything you see in Jesus, that's the father. He goes, I'm in the father, the father's in me. He goes, in fact, I don't even speak my own words. Everything I say is the father speaking. It's the father in me doing the words, doing the works. He goes, just look at the works and you'll know and, you'll, and, and you'll, you'll know it. You'll know it that this is the Father shining through me. And I just want to dial in on this idea. How thin did Jesus have to be? I'm speaking spiritually. How thin did he have to be that he didn't speak on his own? How transparent did he have to be that the Father was the one always shining through? The point of that is He's inviting us to be the same way. He goes, I'm so transparent that all you're getting is the Father. And then he says in verse 12, and that's the next little section I want to touch and then we'll be done. He says, and here's the deal. I'm telling you guys, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, you shall do also. Now he's just said in verse 11, the words and the works, that's the Father coming, coming through me. He goes, and you guys who believe in me, the works that I do, which are the Father's works, you're going to do those works also. And he goes, it is because I go to the Father. And what's he describing? He's saying, you're going to be in intimate relationship with the Father just like me. And you are going to be so yielded to the Father on the inside of you, just like I've been. You're going to be so thin in your flesh that he's going to shine right through you. And the very works that I do, you're going to do those exact same works. But it's not going to be you doing the works. It's going to be the Father in you, just like it's been the Father in me. 
I used to think I had to get revved up in faith, and I'm going to do the greater works. Because no, no, it's not, it's not all hard. It's all grace. It's not all strain and strive. It's all release. It's not you and your strength. It's you and your weakness. And the Father will shine through. Last point, because I couldn't not do today without doing this point. Verse 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's now adding, he's now expanding the answer that Philip had asked, shows the Father, he goes, well, look, here's how it's going to go. It's going to be the Father shining through you. And he goes, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to do greater works. And, and he goes, and the way that you're going to do that is the Father's going to shine through you just like through me. And, and then he says this, and here's how that's going to work. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Now, I know I'm about to overthrow a lot of our normal way that we do Christianity, but I want to propose something here. I'm about 100% certain, <laughs> I'm very certain that Jesus was not asking us to tag his name onto our prayers. What? Yeah, I don't think he was saying, so when you pray, pray everything you want to pray and then say, in the name of Jesus. I I'm, I'm certain that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you'll stand in my name or on my behalf, because we're going to be on the inside of you. If you'll stand on my behalf and ask me for what I want to do, I'll do it. If you'll stand according to my will and ask what I want you to do, I'll do it. He goes, it's not about you asking what you want and tagging my name on it. It's about you in intimacy with me and the Father standing in our place and then asking for what we want and we'll do it. That's you standing in my name. Does that make sense? So a few years back, and if it's not making sense yet, maybe this will help. A few years back, we, we sold our house and, and the, 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 the date... It fell, it got moved, it got moved, and then it fell on a time I was to be out of the country um, speaking at a conference in another place. And uh, uh, so we had to get a power of attorney. And so what we did was we asked my mom to uh, do a power of attorney for us. And if you don't know what that is, that's when someone else signs for you in your name. Now, we did not give my mom our power of attorney so that she could go buy 10 houses or buy a car that she wanted or go get a new wardrobe or go on an Amazon online shopping spree. We gave her power of attorney so she could sign for us what we already had purchased. Are you tracking? She signed in my name. You see that? She signed in my name. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, on my behalf, I will do it. 
He's saying, I'm granting you power of attorney, not to go buy 10 houses for yourself. I'm granting you power of attorney to execute my will in the earth through prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And what he, amen. And so what he's doing is he's unpacking this entire way of life in John 14 that we're to live in intimacy, vulnerably, open, this mystical union of God in us, us in him, and then exerting his will in the earth by simply standing on his behalf and asking for what he wants to do. And so that's how the greater works are coming. They're not coming by us getting revved up in faith, confessing it 1,000 times. They're coming by us getting real thin and letting the Father shine through, standing in the name of Jesus. And when you see the guys at the gate beautiful, and there's the man lame from his mother's womb, Peter, James, and John, they walk up on him. He's begging for money. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus or on Jesus' behalf. I say, rise and walk. And the man was immediately strengthened, stood up, walking and leaping and praising God. Beloved, this is where the Lord wants to take us that we're flowing in such intimacy and such union with Jesus and the Father that we literally just exert his will in the earth and we see the kingdom manifest and come to pass. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, let's stand. Go through the notes. There's a lot more there. Like I said, we could do this for weeks and weeks. We don't want to belabor it, but we want to put it content in your hand. We're all looking at this together, John 13 to 17. If you fell off,